Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. If you will, take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 2, if you will. Acts chapter 2. We've been in a series for a while now called Encountering God series. And uh, today, uh, we've been in the New Testament for a few weeks. And today, we're going to actually jump into Acts chapter 2. And if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, that's in the Pentecost encounter where the uh, Holy Spirit of God invades the life of the church and the the believers that are gathered there. And uh, really, uh, most, most, most theologians would say that's when the church age began. When the Holy Spirit of God invaded in that moment uh, and commissioned those uh, believers in that moment to go out and to accomplish and to fulfill the mission that God had set forth uh, in Matthew 28. And so we still live in that. So, but, so we're revisiting that in Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost encounter. The first thing that I, wanna, I, I, wanna, I want us to notice in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. And just to kind of refresh us a little bit. Uh, you can go back and read on your own in Leviticus 23. But the Jewish, I mean, this was mostly all Jewish people that were been gathered on this day and this moment. Uh, and the Jewish feast calendar of feast uh, really paralleled much of what happened in uh, Jesus's life. And so we don't, we don't as Jew, I mean, as Christians today necessarily do the feast. I mean, if you're a Messianic Jew, then you would still continue probably remembering the, the feast of the Passover, uh, we do that. We celebrate the Passover. We celebrate what the, the death of Christ. Remember John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, he said, Here, Behold the Lamb of God who will be slain right for the sins of the world. Uh, now for a Jewish person, they understood the Passover very well. And you can go back to Exodus when God delivered the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people out of Egypt. Uh, but God did a work there by the shedding of blood. And that has been throughout history. Uh, whenever you read the scriptures, there's a theme of redemption that happens over and over again as all the way through to Christ's death on the cross. And so it was during the Passover, feast of Passover, that, um, that Jesus died on the cross. Remember, they were going to Jerusalem to, honor, to celebrate the Passover, but he was going to be that Passover lamb. He was the one that died on that cross and uh, satisfied forever the sin debt. No longer do we have to have the shedding of blood of goats and lambs. And, and that whole process, but, uh, but he became that Passover lamb for us. But it was in this feast. And then they also had the feast of the first fruits. Uh, the first fruits would have happened on the day after the Sabbath for Passover. So it would have been, in, by our calendar, the first day of the week, which is Sunday, because the Sabbath would have been on a Saturday. So, after, so, on, the, so on, that, on that first day after the Passover, they would have had what they call the Feast of First Fruits, where the, where the priest literally would have taken a, a sheath of grain and he would have waved it as a wave offering uh, before the people and unto the Lord. And it was a picture of the first fruits of offering of, of that they were going to bring. But for us and for the scripture, what we understand, why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on that day. He became the first fruits of those that were resurrected. And we see that, I mean, I'm just, you know, just reminding you, but in uh, 1 Corinthians, just to remind us here, 1 Corinthians, let me get there. Where's that in your Bible? Romans, here we go. There you go. Thank you, church. 
1 Corinthians 15.20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Here it is, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So it was on that celebration of the feast of the first fruits that Christ rose from the dead. And again, for us, we celebrate not the first fruits, but the resurrection. And we, we, and we know, hallelujah, that that's the first fruits. And by the way, how do we know that God really rose from the dead? Yes, we know it in His Word. We believe His Word to be true. Uh, but we also know that if you're a Christian today, been born from above, born again, how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Because He took this dead self, right? We've been looking at that in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. This dead person and made them alive. In other words, this dead person came to life. Rose from the dead. I mean, literally, I was a dead man walking, and God came in and changed me, literally, and birthed me from above, and now I've been born again. And it's just a beautiful confirmation. I mean, that's what the Spirit of God does, a confirmation of what's to come. What's coming? The resurrection of all of us. Literally, if Jesus, we just sang it. Jesus is either going to come back, we're going to meet him in the air, or we're going to rise. We're going to be in a, a life forever with him. So the Feast of the First Fruits was a picture that the Jewish Christians here, in the, they would have understood this. When he rose from the dead, he rose on that first fruits offering day. That would have been a resurrection. Uh, now, when we get to the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks. Why? Because the name, uh, the, the word Pentecost means 50th. When you go back and look at Leviticus 23, the Feast of Pentecost would have happened seven Sabbaths, Right? From the Passover plus one. In other words, on the first day of the week again, seven, 49 days after plus one, 50 days later, they would have celebrated what they call the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Now, the picture of this uh, for, 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 for believers is what? The formation of the church, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, what's interesting is on this day, a, a, a Jewish festival, the priest would have taken two loaves of bread before the people and before the Lord, and would have had two loaves that he would have waved as a wave offering unto the Lord. There would have been other things going on as well, but we see this, and we see the picture, we understand fully now where Jesus prayed. Remember this in John 17, what did he pray? He prayed what? That they'd be one, right? Y'all with me here in John 17? In John's gospel, he prays for this, he prays for us that would... Come to believe. In fact, he goes, Matthew, uh, John 17, 20, he says, My prayer is not just for them alone, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. What does he mean by that? I do believe there's a sense of oneness and unity in the people of God. That's a beautiful testimony. I've made a statement before. Uh, one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism in the world today is the disunity among God's people. So God certainly wants us to be one. But look, listen to the language in Verse 21 in chapter 17, that all of them may be one. Father, this is Jesus praying, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So, so very clearly here on the Feast of Pentecost, these two loaves, very clear the picture there is these two loaves have now become one. And the fulfillment of the one, oneness meaning the divine presence of God, the Spirit of God, has now invaded this human or humanity. Uh, let, let, me, let me make it real clear. Jesus walked on this earth fully God, fully man. I mean, he didn't just become fully divine at baptism. He was fully God, born of a virgin. We know that clearly. God came, literally lived, clothed himself in human flesh, the incarnation. Now, on the Feast of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God comes, we 
we, humanity, are invaded. I mean, literally, the Holy Spirit of God invades, comes in, takes possession of every child of God. I mean, it's a beautiful picture, is it not? I mean, what Christ did walking on this earth, now Christ does in us and through us. He prayed for that, but now it's come to fruition, literally, in the Feast of Pentecost, in the Feast of Weeks. Um, he promises this, Jesus promises, Jesus prayed, and, uh, and now the fulfillment of that time has come. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of this, the, the very first fulfillment of this promise. When these believers, who yes, believed in Christ, but now uh, are waiting for the promised gift. In fact, just right here back in Acts chapter 1, you see this. Just to remind you in verse 3, uh, after his suffering, he showed himself, talking about Christ after his resurrection, showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Here's the command in verse 4. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for this gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And we, we've seen that. I mean, he speaks all throughout his ministry. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they met together and they asked him, said, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or date my father uh, has set by his own authority. But look at this, verse 8. But you will receive, what does your Bible say, church? Power. Power. Well, that would be a good song. Wonder-working power. Thank you. Some of y'all got that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? Help me, church. What? Witnesses. Witnesses. Thank you. Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up from them in that moment. But look on in verse 12. I mean, this all happened on the Mount of Olives, and all of a sudden they returned back to Jerusalem from the, uh, uh, from the hill of Mount Olives, a Sabbath day walk from there. When they arrived, they went upstairs into the room where they were staying. It goes on to say that all that were present, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, right, began to teach or speak and lead. And it says the group numbered about 120. So the group's grown a little bit in just a handful of days. And there's approximately about 120 people, Scripture says, gathering together, praying together on a daily basis. Now, going back to chapter 2, verse 1. When the days of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's exactly what they were doing. They were meeting daily, gathering together, waiting, waiting for this promised gift, the Holy Spirit. And it was in this context. I don't know if we can really gather this as well. You, a lot's happened in a handful of days. Jesus was crucified. Now, hang on with me here. I'm not going... I, I know. But sometimes we, we read this and we kind of... We, we, we don't really maybe understand the context of what's happened in this moment. Their Savior, their leader, their one that they followed before their very eyes was beaten. I mean, have you ever seen the Passion was a pretty good descriptive picture of probably what really happened on that day. Brutally beaten. 
Why? For us. He shed his blood for us. But he died. I mean, he really died. They put him in a tomb, rolled that stone on there, and he really did die. And then just a few days later, he really rose from the dead. You can imagine the emotional turmoil going on, the ups and downs and all these things that are happening. And he spends some time there with them. And he, the way the scripture kind of shared, he kind of comes and goes. Not with them all the time, but he comes and goes and reveals himself during this period of time. But then on this day, he says, I've got to go. I'm leaving, but wait in Jerusalem. Because he's going to come. Church, do me a favor. Just bow your heads with me just for a moment here. Just close your eyes and envision just being sitting there on that day. What would that day look like? Sitting in the house. Just being there. Maybe Peter stood up to preach or to talk or to share the word of God again. And then on this day, about 9 o'clock in the morning, about like this, here he comes. church. Everybody look at me. I know sometimes it gets a little cheesy. But on that day, they heard a strong, violent wind. That's what the Bible says. That was about the best wind I could get. They didn't feel the wind. They heard the wind. Just like we heard it here. And it was unmistakable, and it was loud, and it was violent. They heard this deafening sound that the wind, only the wind makes. But it wasn't just this strong, violent wind. Look in your Bible. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It resonated in there. Percussions of that house just resonated this amazing sound. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This violent wind came seemingly out of nowhere on this ordinary day where they gathered. Sunday, actually. Around 9 o'clock, we learn later on in the text. They gathered on this seemingly ordinary day, had no idea. In fact, the scripture says suddenly. The, the word there means they were kind of caught off guard, unexpected. They didn't know. They knew it was, something was going to happen. They, they, they believed the promise, but they didn't understand what or how or when and all that stuff. And then on that day, this sound comes in, this violent wind sound. But then it's not just the hearing, but it's the seeing of what seems to be tongues of fire. Now, many people have commentated on and on about fire and uh, uh, the, the visual of that. And it says it seems like it. I mean, I, whether it was actual fire burning, I don't know. Kind of took me back to the restaurant earlier this week when that little torch was lit. Anyway, some of y'all remember that. I know. I thought about having some of those, Michael. Um, but, but, but my point is this, that when the Spirit of God came, they heard Him and they saw him in this moment. They saw a visual, this tongues of fire, this fire not only stayed up here, but it went to every single person gathered in that place, had literally over them. In fact, in this moment, theologically, Holy Spirit baptized them in that moment. 
baptize them. It's the act of God by which He, God, identifies believers with the exalted head of the church, Jesus Christ, and forms in that moment a spiritual union of, yes, heavenly and humanity in that moment. The body of Christ. It's a, it's a birthing process. And in that moment, when he first came, he baptized them in that moment. Literally submerged them, right, into the body of Christ. Um, literally, the Spirit of God was seen and heard and experienced. I'm so grateful for the recorded scripture by Dr. Luke here in Luke's uh, in Acts. Because when the Spirit of God came the first time and when He comes every time, you can experience Him. Why? Because He is personal. He is God, very God. He is God, yes, the Holy Spirit who brings to us life, union. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. He makes us, that promise prayer, one with God. It's a heavenly Giving of the Holy Spirit, an act of God, where He baptizes us into the body of Christ. But make no mistake, they saw, they heard, and they experienced the Spirit of the living God. Make no mistake, it wasn't fabricated, it wasn't made up, it wasn't stirred up. He came, they saw, they responded, He, he took over that moment in that situation and made himself known. And by the way, God the Holy Spirit makes himself known still today. Tongues of fire came upon them. Many people have commentated about this. Symbolizes the powerful witness. The fire of God. The presence of God. We've seen this throughout several of the God encounters. Where God shows up. And literally consumes the sacrifice. And in one sense, the fire of God. The presence of God comes down. Not on the sacrifice of animals. But now on humanity. These people that have professed Christ. He engulfs them. He inflames them. He puts a fire in them and consumes them, literally. You know, Paul says this is our worship in Romans 12. What? To present our bodies as offerings, as spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. Yet we don't get burned up and are useless. No, he lights us a fire so we can be used for his glory. But the tongues of fire represent the presence of God, the fire of God, Coming down upon those. Now, interesting enough, the believers experience this present Holy Spirit by how? Praising God and His wonderful works in various languages. So He comes. Not only that, I've said it a minute ago, the Spirit baptizes as well. Literally, it means to be submerged. Figuratively, it means to be identified with. We use that word... For water baptism as well, that word baptism, to baptize, means to make a public witness of a person's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, may, let me be clear here. Let me be clear, as clear as I can. If I'm not clear, you can, we can talk about it more. The Spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. It is a divine encounter at the point of confession. We, we call it regeneration. Jesus said, born again. When a person is born again, they are baptized into the body of Christ. It is not of our doing. That is of God. Just like justification isn't of our doing. Just like redemption is not of our doing. Just like glorification will not be of our doing. These are all fancy theological words. 
baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ is God's doing. It's God's way of saying, you're mine and I'm yours forevermore. It's a beautiful act of God's grace when He chooses to submerge us literally into the union of Christ, into the body of Christ. This is exactly why uh, in the Scripture, He would say that every single person here is critical and vital to the work of God here at Flint Hill. Every single one of you. Every single person here is called of God, anointed, submerged, baptized by the living Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit of God, and gifted to be used of God here and now. Every single one of you. Some of you are saying, well, I, I'm not like, it doesn't matter. You can be the hand or you can be the foot. Doesn't matter. Some parts of the body are wide open, everybody sees them. Some parts of the body people don't ever see. And we see that in the scripture. But, but make no mistake, because of God's working in you, you are critical and vital to the work of the Lord here, even here, even now, right now. Just like in the first century, it was critical. All of them were baptized. All of them were submerged into the body of Christ. Historically, this happened at Pentecost. But again, when we talk about baptism by the Holy Spirit, anytime, every time a sinner turns and trusts Jesus Christ personally, born again, they are baptized into the body of Christ. Now, I didn't say the body of Flint Hill. You understand that? Y'all with me? Okay, y'all. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm the body of Christ. There is a body, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hallelujah. And he's coming back to get his church one day. His church, his bride, his body. Y'all with me? Okay, all right. Water baptism is clear. Uh, uh, water baptism is when, when we get baptized, Michael got baptized a few weeks ago, it's a public witness of a person's faith and trust in Christ. It's, it's the same thing like I talked to my mama one day years ago. Mama got baptized when she was a child. But it wasn't until mama was probably 50-something years old that she gave her life to Christ. I said, Mama, you had never been biblically water baptism, right? I don't know what happened back here. You got wet. Don't get me wrong. You got wet back here. But if you want to bear testimony of your faith and trust in Christ, it, first you're baptized into the body through the Lord Jesus. Then you do water baptism where you tell everybody that I've trusted Christ. Now, we do it in the church. We do it in the here. Some people do it in the creek. In the first century, it was a big deal. Sometimes it would have done in the public. Could have been in a public square, kind of a fountain outdoor by the river. Could have been in various places, right? But it was a public profession, public witness that I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the Spirit not only baptized, but the Spirit feels. Look at this in verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit of God and began to speak in other tongues. Now, when you talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, real cl clearly here, why, why, why does God, the Holy Spirit, fill us? Real simply here.